Welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Pastor's Cut. If you've been joining us in the Book of Romans, you know that the next chunk of material we are about to head into has some significant passages about idolatry and uses homosexuality as an example of this. In an effort to handle this conversation with care, we wanted to press pause on a normal week's episode. We've brought in Nate Payne and Rafe Chenery to help us think through questions on this very topic. We hope you find this episode helpful. I'm Sharon Brandis. And I'm Trevor Lovell. And this is The Pastor's Cut with Rafe Chenery and Nathan Payne. Hey, Rafe and Nate, how are you guys doing today? Wow, we're doing great. Good. Wonderful. Hello. Good. Hi. Good to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you guys here. Um, and this particular day, actually, on the podcast, we have a... Uh, relatively complex text. And because of that, we're going to do something a little bit different with it, a little different format. We just want to read the passage that was preached on this past weekend before we jump into it. This is Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 32. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Um, Rafe, you, you actually preached on this at South Loop just this past weekend, mm -hmm. and uh, so we're going to give a little quick recap of it, but instead of going into what got cut, we're actually going to do some Q&A around the subject, knowing that it's a little bit of a difficult topic, and so we just want to talk about it some more here. Um, but Rafe, could you give a quick recap of your sermon for us? Yeah. Uh, so the text is Romans 1. We, we're going verse by verse through Romans, and uh, the last kind of couple weeks we've gotten through uh, Paul's introduction. And then in verse 18, 18 all the way down through 32, there's kind of this flow of thought where Paul begins talking about the sin of idolatry. And basically what he's doing here is he's introducing us to a theme that's going to be with us all the way through most of chapter 3, which is that every person is sinful. We've all inherited a corrupt, um, sinful nature, and basically sin has touched all of us in different ways. Mm -hmm. And he kicks that off in this entire section by basically saying that the results of sin, the results of idolatry, of making something other than Jesus Lord of your life and his word and submission to his word, um, that the result of that is God's wrath on your life. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the consequences of sin. Uh, specifically, you know, scripture says the the consequences of sin is death. It's a <laughs> spiritual death, but also a, a ultimate physical death. Yeah. One of the things that makes this text really challenging is that as he builds his argument of the consequences of sin and what it means for God's wrath to be against sinners, uh, he uses a handful of illustrations. Um, particularly, he uses two just 
culturally sensitive illustrations. And I would just say they were they were very culturally sensitive back in Paul's day when he first wrote them. Um, and just as much, they're very culturally sensitive for us as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly the first two illustrations he uses is one of what he says, uh, he describes as impurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's talking about people who are in the sin of uh, sexual impurity, mm-hmm. which covers the, the wide range of gamut of sexual sin uh, in our culture. So that would include, you know, if we just want to get real practical with it, that would include everything from uh, adultery to sex outside or before marriage to prostitution to pornography, it, the whole range of sexual sin. Um, and then he goes to a second illustration, which is the sin of homosexuality. That's where uh, for us in our modern day, it becomes uh, just a very culturally relevant and frankly sensitive and difficult topic mm-hmm. to really engage with in a mm-hmm. meaningful, biblical, compassionate way. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things I said in this last week's sermon is the, the point the point Paul's making in this passage is not, his mm-hmm. main point is not, these things are sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes on, he, you know, after he uses those two illustrations, he uses... I mean, if I just read some of this list, he talks about the unrighteous, the evil, mm-hmm. the covetousness, malice, envy, strife, deceit, uh, slanderers, boastful, gossips, foolish, faithless. He basically, mm-hmm. he, he gets everybody. By the time he's mm-hmm. done with this passage, there's not one person who can read this and say, okay, he's, talking, he's not talking about me. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're all in this passage. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, Paul's main point is not just that those things are sin, mm-hmm. it's that when we are uh, when we are in those sins or uh, lifestyles, whatever it is where our name falls in this passage, um, we are actually revealing deep-seated idolatry. It's revealing within our heart that we have something other than Jesus who is reigning as Lord of our life. And because of that, it's an affront to the glory of God and there is wrath against that sin through the natural consequences of those mm-hmm. um, kind of vices. And so yeah. that's kind of the big picture of the message. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that's a challenge for us is though the topic of sexual impurity and homosexuality is not the main point of the passage, mm-hmm. I think for our context, there's just a lot of questions around that, mm-hmm. uh, that pastorally and as a, as a body, we want to be able to navigate in a healthy, good, meaningful, biblical way. I know at a number of Parks locations last week, we gave out a wonderful book by an author, Sam Alberry. He's a pastor and author. And Sam's story is the story of many, many, uh, many people in our, in across, you know, Parks Church, but also across the church at large um, of men and women who would say that they're same-sex attracted, uh, would say that they're, uh, what they feel um, in their, uh, in their just, being authentic self is that they have a, ro- a romantic attraction to the same sex who have chosen to make Jesus Lord of their life and to submit to a life of celibacy. Um, and Sam does a great job in that book. His book, The book is called Is God Anti-Gay? And it's a wonderful resource written by a man who is same-sex attracted, who navigates what it means to make Jesus Lord and to submit to his desire for uh, mm-hmm. sexuality and what it means to find wholeness and fullness within the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so I think he's a great example as well as a um, a great resource yeah. for people to look into who are wanting to learn more and hear from a perspective of somebody who uh, kind of is uh, right in the center of mm-hmm. that conversation. Yeah. 
Okay, let's jump in with the questions and uh, just recognizing that as we move through this, you know, that, uh, that for, for some of you listening, we might not say enough. Um, for others, we might say too much. We just ask that, you know, we're, we're learning as we work through this ourselves. And so I uh, would just ask that we, we would all approach it with a posture of learning as well. So Sharon is going to tee up the first one for us. Yeah. Let's say that I am a gay female and I'm in a relationship with another gay female. Can either of us consider ourselves Christians? That's such a great question, Sharon. Um, so the question is, can a practicing uh, gay person be a Christian? The, I think one of the things when we begin looking at individual sins is to kind of back up and understand the nature of sin in itself and how a person is saved. And so just if we just get to the gospel, we are not saved by what we do. Uh, we're saved by what Jesus has done for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and evidence of our submission to Jesus and making him Lord of our life is a changing life. Um, if I can just give my testimony, a very quick version of my testimony. When I became a follower of Christ when I was 17, I had a whole host of vices in my life. I still have vices in my life today. Mm-hmm. This is many, many years later. But some of those early vices, they continued for a season after I had come to know Jesus. As he began to do work in my life, bringing conviction. There were things I didn't even know I was supposed to have conviction about yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then over the course of getting to know my Savior, and getting to know what it meant to have Jesus as Lord in my life, God did a great work and he continues to do a great work and that'll last till the day all of us die. The question of how is a person saved? We are saved by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, What it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ is that you make him Lord Mm -hmm. and that you believe his word is God's word. It's Mm -hmm. true, it's Mm -hmm. right, it's what is good, it's what is powerful, it's what's meaningful for our life. And so the question really ought to be is, if has a person truly made Jesus Lord of their life? And are they in that process, as we'll get to later on in Romans, in Romans 7 especially, that, that painful process of transformation, mm-hmm. are they somewhere on that journey of honestly making Jesus Lord of their life and learning what it means to submit every aspect of their life to him. If that's true of them and they've made Jesus Lord and they're broken sinners like me who are on the process of being sanctified, then absolutely, we are all sinners who are being sanctified by Jesus. Mm -hmm. If this is a a situation where someone truly has not made Jesus Lord of their life, whatever the sin might be, and there's really no repentance, there's no desire to change, there's no acknowledgement that God's word is higher than our word, um, then frankly, that's kind of what we would call nominal Christianity, if I could just use maybe a pastoral term. It's this idea that really what we want is to live our own life and just have Jesus too. Um, And really... At that point, we have to ask the question is, has this person actually accepted Jesus? And my heart would be burdened for them to make sure they know what it means to truly make Jesus Lord and to submit to his word. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think also underneath that question is, can someone who is struggling with uh, same-sex attraction be a follower of Jesus? And certainly the reality is that uh, every single one of us deals with the reality of our own desires and flesh that are contrary to the Spirit of God. Uh, And the question is not whether a person who is struggling or dealing with or wrestling with a desire that's contrary to God's design and will. Uh, Really, the question is, is one, we submitted ourselves fully to the authority of Jesus, received what He has given and done for us on our behalf. That's what saves us, and then submitted to uh, frankly, his word and his spirit as he's in the 
process of sanctifying us, transforming us, and mm-hmm. ultimately bringing all of us with whatever mm-hmm. struggle we have uh, to the day where we will ultimately be fully conformed to his image. Mm-hmm. Another question or scenario that I feel like many people that attend Park or even other Christians probably have dealt with this is, let's say I go home and I open up my mailbox and in it is an invitation to my gay friend's wedding. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to attend or not? That's one of the most challenging questions today. And I want to, I I, uh, just helped a friend of mine yesterday uh, edit a long document on that question. Hmm. Uh, Let me back up and acknowledge what a wedding and a marriage is. Uh, when we talk about weddings and marriages in the Christian context, uh, earthly marriages are designed to uh, point us towards the greater marriage. If you ever go to a marriage by any pastor, Park Community Church, this is going to be the message. This is the whole message. Every earthly ma- marriage between a husband and a wife, the the purpose of it is to put on display the glory of Jesus Christ and his relationship to the church. And so that's the dynamics of the relationship between a husband and a wife, what the purpose of marriage is. God is the one who instituted marriage all the way back between Adam and Eve in the garden. It's yeah. his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the question of what, ha- what do we do with a gay wedding, uh, you kind of have to go, you know, we've looked at this of, um, what about all the pieces that go into a wedding? Could a park pastor officiate at a wedding? Well, the answer to that would, would be no. And again, this is all done. This is so hard answering questions quickly like this because it, you can't see the pastoral heart and the, and the compassion and the love with which this whole conversation takes place. So forgive me that some of that, I'm, I'm trying to make that come across well here. Mm-hmm. Um, but the answer would be we wouldn't be able to officiate that because uh, it, it wouldn't be a, a wedding that we believe uh, God would approve of because it doesn't point to the greater marriage in the way that God has designed. Mm-hmm. Then you go down, could you stand up in a wedding? Well, typically when you're standing up or you're, you're the best man or the, uh, the bride, the uh, maiden of honor, in a wedding, typically what that is saying is, I support this, I'm going to strengthen it, I'm gonna stand by it, I believe in it, I'm all in. Mm-hmm. And once again, as a follower of Christ, it would be difficult to say that at a wedding, uh, at, a, at a gay wedding, just because that's not entirely true of the Christian. We believe weddings and marriages are designed to point people towards the greater marriage of Jesus and his church and must be as Jesus has dictated between a husband and a wife. You then get to the section of, can I attend? And this is where I think there's not total conviction across the churchwide community. Typically, what we would say is this. Um, when you attend a wedding, what is being communicated? Um, I think it would be very difficult to attend and have the person whose wedding it is believe that you're there because you're in total support and affirmation of it. Because deep down in our hearts as Christians, we, we would actually desire more for them. We, we, we don't think this is what's gonna bring them the full life and the meaningful life. Even though it feels joyful in the occasion, um, we actually, as followers of Christ, looking at the word of God would say, there's, there's actually a better truth. There's a better reality of the way Jesus has designed it. And so some folks have said, you know, what would be acceptable would be for, if you were asked to attend, to have a conversation, mm-hmm. a, a very difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. and a loving conversation where you say, look, I want to be here because I love you and I'm in for this conversation in the long haul and I can't affirm this, but I love you as a person mm-hmm. and I want to be there for you. 
And so this isn't a celebration. This is my act of saying, I care for you and I want to be here. Mm-hmm. Other people, and that's one position, which I think uh, many people take. Um, and another position would be, uh, for example, John Piper takes a much harder uh, opinion on this. He's a, a well-known pastor and preacher. And he says, you know, even to attend a wedding is to affirm it. It's to be celebrating it. Um, and so he basically says it, it's pretty much impossible to attend a wedding because everyone there is going to believe that you're affirming it. And so he says, don't go. What I would say is if you're considering what it means to receive an invitation to a gay wedding, you need to go to the Lord and ask for wisdom. You, if you're listening to this, you now know those kind of two camps. To simply attend and be a celebratory participant is kind of going to be it, it should be difficult for you as a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a hard conversation you need to have with the person who's invited you. And then you need to lay it before the Lord and, and ask God, what are, what are you asking me to do? And what does it mean in this situation? Um, I would be hesitant to draw a very hard line in the sand for even more reasons than we can discuss here. But um, I think those are some of the challenges that go before making a decision like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as well. I think applying that principle of desiring to see uh, those whom we love and care about to experience the life-giving, life-transforming work of the gospel, uh, that requires a platform for relationship and conversation. And so attending a wedding that fundamentally we would disagree with on biblical basis uh, may mean that we're there celebrating not the particular wedding itself, but there to uh, really retain a relationship with uh, individuals with intentionality mm-hmm. um, in the long haul. You know, I think for the, for, let me just speak for a moment for maybe you're listening and you actually have sent the invitation and you're wondering, what does my friend who's a follower of Jesus, how will they respond? Uh, well, let's I just, I just want to take a moment just to say that first and foremost, we love you. We care about you deeply. And our, our deepest concern is for your ultimate happiness, your ultimate fulfillment and intimacy with God. Uh, and, fr- and frankly, uh, you know, we're committed to you, even if we don't agree with this particular uh, situation or circumstance that you're inviting us to celebrate. And so I think just for you to hear a heartbeat that while we we might disagree with the decision that you're making. Uh, our commitment is to you in the long haul to see you ultimately experience intimacy that can only be gained through a relationship with Christ and what he offers in his design for you. Even back to the first question, when you were answering that, Rafe, it made me think of people in the church that are not married, but openly have sex before they're married with their boyfriend or girlfriend or even just people that they're casually dating. And that question of can a person that's practicing sex outside of a marriage call themselves a Christian? And so it comes back to this compassionate heart of us walking alongside people that are also sinners, because we are too, um, walking alongside them to see where they're at in their transformation process, right, of what is God sanctifying them on in this moment. And how we can be compassionate and loving towards them at the same time, but also remind them of what God's word says about all sexual sin. That's a good word, Sharon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So another question, 
Can I support LGBTQ plus rights, even though I don't agree? Yeah, I think fundamentally, before we uh, sort of answer that question specifically, I think we have to just back up and go to Genesis chapter one and just be reminded uh, out of Genesis one twenty seven, God created humans in his image. And so fundamentally, what does it mean for us to be created in his image that we have inherent, uh, unalterable dignity uh, just on the basis of our identity being created in the image of God? And so if we want to first start from that reference point, then there are things in which we should be fully supportive of for every human being, Mm -hmm. just on the basis of being created in his image. And so I think that really is a question that we first need to answer. You know, we should, for every human being, whether Mm -hmm. they look like us, don't look like us, believe what we believe or don't believe what we believe. Uh, And I would say both politically, uh, ethnically, economically, we fundamentally hold to the inherent value and dignity of every human being. And where, Mm -hmm. where that is, uh, where that's questioned or where that's uh, limited, we should thoroughly and enthusiastically uh, support seeing uh, that value uh, propagated. Uh, and I think mm. going further, it's really the question is where, if you will, where does the boundary stop around supporting the inherent dignity of every human being? Mm-hmm. And where does the line start with supporting or purporting, if you will, um, the ability uh, and rights for folks to do as they will. And I think it's helpful in our context to remember that that the, even the idea of rights can sometimes be uh, confused with, you know, the ability to do what I want to do, you know, fundamentally desires. desires. Yeah. Uh, and so we have to be careful that the inherent dignity of every human being doesn't get clouded with essentially the statement that what I desire is what I should be able to do without any restraint. And related to this question, I think for many people who have experienced, if we could be honest, historically, both in the context of the civil discourse and experience in uh, our, our country, and even in religious circles, many folks from the LGBTQ community have had their fundamental human rights violated, um, where those of us who have walked with and know the stories of not only verbal aggression and oppression, but also physical violence, uh, there is no way that a Christ follower could support that. Uh, mm-hmm. from the scripture, because it fundamentally violates the image of God stamped on every human being. I think where the limitations might uh, begin to, um, where there are limit, where, where the limitations on our support or propagation of those rights might be where, from a legal standpoint, a follower of Jesus cannot support a law that would propagate, if you will, something that will not allow a human being to flourish, which is to which to say where God has designed human beings to live and how we function for our flourishing, if we fundamentally believe that there's something that will prevent us from doing that, then I think we 
we have to give pause before we would uh, suggest that or support that. For us to be Christians mean we means we shouldn't be double-minded. It means we shouldn't think that Scripture is good for me, uh, and yet, frankly, society is better if it all goes away totally other than what Scripture declares is good for society as a whole. And oftentimes, I think that's what happens with Christians when they start getting into some of these conversations is they say, well, internally, I'm going to believe this, but externally, I kind of believe something totally different about what's good for society hmm. and good for people. And Christians are called to be single-minded, not double-minded. What is the, the worldview that, that Scripture gives us of what is right, what is true, what is good, is best for the world. And we desire to see that take place. And that in some way does impact how we steward a democracy mm-hmm. where we have voting rights. And we, we're able to say, you know what? The worldview I see for scripture, like I, I love these things and, and I wanna see how I navigate that with compassion, conviction, and belief that it truly is what's best for the world. So that doesn't answer the question directly, but it addresses what is sometimes a, a double-mindedness I mm-hmm. see in people as they approach some of these questions. Mm-hmm. Let's jump to the next question. Um, this is a question maybe we, um, some of us have heard or received in a conversation around uh, this topic. But why are we, um, as, as followers of Christ, why are we trying to dictate or dictating who can love whom? Yeah, I think just taking the, that question on, where does the authority to dictate uh, the parameters of human uh, ethics and morality come from? And fundamentally, we start with the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word, and that really is the foundation. Um, and we go, again, back to Genesis 1. What is God's design for human? It's created in His image and for human flourishing, um, that His parameters in which He gives us are not simply boundaries, to restrictive boundaries, but the, the fundamental way in which we have been designed to flourish. And so when we talk about the idea of dictating who can love whom, we first have to start off with, you know, the way in which we were designed is that, you know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that fundamentally that we were created for intimacy with our Creator. Hmm. Uh, And so that's the first parameter for every human being, single, married, young, old, to flourish. And then secondly, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I think one of the things that is underneath that question is that we have an, we've, we've lost the ability to separate intimacy uh, from romance, uh, that intimacy with God, intimacy with another human being in the parameters in which God is designed does not have to include romance and sexuality. Uh, and so I think with that question we have to be reminded that the, the the guidelines and the parameters for human morality are designed by God because He made us, He created us. And so we're not dictating as much as we're celebrating and uh, really communicating that which will help human beings to most flourish in the way that we were made. I love that. And I love, uh, just to briefly add on to that, I love the definition um, of love, right? So when we think of Jesus' definition, greater love has none than they lay his down, his life down for his friends, um, for another person. I just totally butchered that verse, but it's close <laughs> to that. <laughs> if anyone's got that perfectly memorized, go ahead, shout it out. Um, but 
it, Jesus is the quintessential, he, he, he is love incarnate. Yeah. And so when we uh, understand what the word love means, we look to Jesus, we look to his word, that's love. Anything that is a variation of that, anything that is, um, that is that, but it's like a little more man-made version of it. Uh, we, we ultimately need to reject as people who have made Jesus the Lord of our life. He is the epitome of love. He's love incarnate. Um, and so when we look to Jesus, we get a definition for what love is. And then we look to the world and we say, okay, we want, we want to see that love. We want to see God love. We want to see the word of God propagate throughout this whole world. And God's word has spoken into this. All through the Bible, we see examples of people who just, frankly, they, they have misconceptions of what Jesus's love was and what love really is. I think Nate just said that really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so ultimately as a follower of Christ, we want to honor God's words. We, we want to we want to love the way God has showed us to love within the boundaries that he's demonstrated for us are good and true and right for his creation. Yeah. So another question, which Rafe, you talked about this a little bit in the book that was handed out that um, the author, is his name Sam? Sam Elder. Sam. Um, Sam mentioned as a same-sex attracted man living celibate for the rest of his life. So a question that we might get is, am I supposed to be single the rest of my life if I am same-sex attracted? Mm-hmm. You know, Sharon, I think that's a great question. First of all, uh, let's step back and actually re- remind ourselves that um, that fundamentally that we are made for intimacy with God first and foremost. And that is the, the, that is the one thing that is satisfying at the heart for every human being, uh, intimacy with our Creator, which we are created for uh, through the person of Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself was single and was never married, uh, and yet he was what we would would suggest uh, would, is that Jesus was the fullest expression of the best of what a human being can be, and he never married, he never experienced. Uh, a sexual relationship or intimacy with another person. And so first of all, we need to understand that singleness in and of itself is not a a, a diminution of one's humanity. Uh, And that, that frankly, is a message for someone who wrestles with same-sex attraction and someone who don't, who doesn't. Um, And so I think we also have to be reminded that Again, in this passage that it's particularly talking about, the issue, fundamental issue is this issue of idolatry, which is not simply just bowing down to a particular statue or item. It's the idea of something, anything, replacing that which only God can fulfill. And so as a person who is either wrestling with same-sex attraction or a person who's not, really the question is, what will become the center of our life in existence? And if the fulfillment of that desire becomes that which we will seek at all costs or that which we elevate at all costs, then we're certainly going to wrestle with uh, the issue of whether we should be single or not. And, And really underneath that is the question of, will I fully surrender and submit myself to the authority of Jesus and find satisfaction in intimacy with him over and above anything else that I might desire. I have conversations regularly, uh, particularly with women in our church who are single. And uh, as they're um, getting older, they ask the question, 
I, is it okay to begin dating non-Christians? Because they're looking to, they, they want to be in a relationship. And it's such a hard, in, incredible conversation to have with a lot of the folks at Park because I understand that longing. I, I can totally get that. Um, but the challenge is, is not how do we water down God's word so that I can get what I want, but how do I honor the Lord in every aspect of my life, including my romantic desires? Matthew 19, 12, great verse. Uh, Jesus is in the midst of this conversation. He's been teaching about divorce. And then he says to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. And part of Jesus' teaching there is that there are, there are people who essentially have decided to have no romantic relationships for their life for the sake of the kingdom of God. They've made Jesus Lord. They made God the king of their life. And what that means in their life Mm-hmm. Uh, is that they're choosing to say, okay, that's not an aspect of my life that I need. I'll find other ways to have community and uh, intimacy with people other than romantically. Another verse that just comes to mind real quickly, and I'll finish on that one, is 1 Corinthians 7, 7. Uh, let me just read that real quick. Um, and this is just where Paul is talking about his own life as a single man. Uh, and he says, uh, talking about his own singleness, he says... Uh, Verse six, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, uh, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And he's talking about his singleness there. Um, and, and Paul celebrates his singleness. And I think that's something we lose in the church is that to those who are called to a life of singleness, that is not a demotion. It is different and carries its own burdens with it. Um, but in fact, in scripture, we see a celebration mm-hmm. of those who choose a single life for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I think we need to do a much better job of elevating that within the local church. Well, thank you, Nate and Rafe. Thanks for entering into this conversation with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. We have some helpful resources in the episode's description on this podcast. And if you have any specific questions that you want to ask our guest next week, be sure to text podcast to 62953 and maybe your question will make it live. Yeah. And we also just want to encourage you that we know this is a difficult and sensitive conversation. And if you've got some things you're wrestling with, some things you'd like to discuss further, uh, we just encourage you to get in touch with your local pastor. I know each one of our pastors are at different locations. They'd love to talk with you and dialogue more uh, and as well as provide resources that'll be helpful around this conversation. See you next week.